This is January 21st, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and things aren't going so hot for the Boston Bruins, uh, to say the least. Obviously, there was that terrible three-goal blown lead against Pittsburgh on Sunday. And uh, I had this stat, not to flex or anything, not to flex, you know, my research abilities, but to flex my research abilities. Uh, Bruins blown leads this season uh, with two or more goals. Uh, Two-goal lead they blew against Colorado early in the season. They lost. And they've blown three three-goal leads and a four-goal lead this year. The first three-goal lead they blew was against Pittsburgh in I think it was either October or November, they ended up winning six to four. So it didn't really matter, but they still blew it. Uh, they had that four goal lead. They blew against Florida and then they lost in the shootout. I mean, that has to be the most Bruins game. Looking back, that has to be the most Bruins loss of this season. Up four, <laughs> blow the lead, lose in a shootout. That's pretty much just how it's gone this year. Uh, by the way, the, not to panic, the Bruins are still in first place. So it's not the end of the world. They just aren't great with leads. Uh, then they had the three goal lead against Philadelphia last week. They lost with Brad Marchand, just blowing it in the shootout. And then they had the one on Sunday to Pittsburgh. Um, so to discuss all of this, I had on Dale Arnold. Uh, you know, you know him from the, po- the pre and post game show on Nesson for Bruins games. You know him from his own radio show, uh, every day 10 to 2 on WEI, Dale and Keith. Uh, obviously, you know, Dale needs no introduction. Um, and we sort of discuss blowing the leads and should we be panicking? I mean, I see you people on Twitter. You great listeners saying that Cassidy should be gone or Sweeney. Some of you, not all of you, but some of you. So we discussed that and how much legitimacy there is to that before we get into the conversation. Football playoff races are heating up and you can follow all the action at betonline.ag as your favorite team. Most of your Patriots people, so probably not, but some of you, uh, make their way to the end of the playoffs. All about the Super Bowl. And upcoming draft picks this week and betonline.ag is there for you during all the drama. Up to date information, including odds and lines, every spread, spread, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, or even tease your way through the season. Why not? So before the next kickoff, which would be the Super Bowl, head over to betonline to receive your 50% welcome bonus and be sure to use our promo code CLNS50 and take advantage of our great offer today. Again, go to betonline.ag and then use the promo code CLNS50. You get a 50% welcome bonus, just why not? You know, 50% off, not a big deal. Uh, bring the game home with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Also, side note, this has nothing to do with hockey. Kind of surprised uh, Chiefs and 49ers in the Super Bowl this year. I mean, I think it's going to be a solid game. Uh, I, Jimmy Garoppolo threw for like eight passes the other night. I mean, it's absurd. So uh, that'll be in two weeks. Uh, and I think that'll be that'll be right after the Bruins' long by week plus all-star week festivities. So that should be exciting to look forward to. Again, bet on it with betonline.ag. Uh, nothing makes a Super Bowl more fun when your team isn't in it than betting on one of the teams and just laying your heart on the line uh, with a bet. So go do that. Uh, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Dale Arnold. <laughs> And we're here with Dale Arnold. Dale, how are you? 
I'm fine, thanks. I'm better than the Bruins have been the last month or so, that's for sure. Well, yes, that is, uh, that, that isn't hard to do, unfortunately. It's, uh, things have been rough, uh, on Sunday. The Bruins were up three and then kind of let that lead go away. And that's been a big trend of late. There's a lot of talk on Twitter, uh, as there always is of, um, this team, you know, people are starting to panic about this team. And I think rightfully so. I think there's a little bit of panic to be had. Um, but are we overreacting, Dale? Are people overreacting at all this stuff? Probably not. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I understand if you want to take the tact, look at the division standings, look at the Eastern Conference standings, look at the overall standings in the NHL. You know, how much complaining should there be? You know, you've got, you know, one of the stingiest teams in the NHL to play against. You've got, you know, among the best power play units, among the best penalty killing units. You've got the league's leading scorer. You've got, you know, two of the top 10 scorers in the NHL, all of those things. Uh, but having said all that, uh, I'll add to your number. You've had three times this year where you've had a three goal lead and found a way to lose three times in a year. Uh, you know, you've had a, a, a real tendency to, to not be able to put teams away, look a little soft at times, physically, emotionally, both in terms of being able to ice a game when you need to, but also in terms of how you respond physically when challenged. Uh, I think there's enough things to worry about here. I'm, I'm not in a panic by any way, shape, or form, but I'd like to see Donnie make a move or two here, and I'd rather see him do it sooner rather than late. So what's funny is uh, Fluto Shinzawa wrote about this in The Athletic, I think midway through last week. Um, it was after the Columbus game, and, he, and the, the headline was pretty simple. The Bruins are an easy team to play against. And, you know, we sort of saw earlier that earlier last week kind of getting out, uh, out-toughed in a lot of areas. Uh, and then they have the two games against the Penguins where, the, you know, Tory Kruger has a fight with Hornquist and, you know, there's definitely an edge to their game. They're definitely a lot more tougher. But I think what Fluto hit on is a, is a very good point is the Bruins aren't, they're a great team and they're a good team, but I'm not so sure as currently constructed, this team is built to win a Stanley Cup. I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. Now I know they did it last year, but this group as put together right now, I have my doubts. I think, as you said, there has to be a move made. And I'm just wondering, you know, do you sort of feel the same way on that? Is this team that easy to play against? Size and toughness is a concern for me. Now, I know as you and I are taping this, uh, Kevin Miller skated today for the first time in God knows how long. He skated for 15 minutes before the team came out for practice today. Uh, and, and I am still convinced that if Kevin Miller were healthy, and playing in the Stanley Cup final last year against the Blues, that series might have ended differently than it did. But I don't want to put that kind of pressure on a guy who's coming back from micro-fracture issues and yeah. has already had more than one setback. But that type of player with that type of size, that type of mentality is something I think this team desperately needs because I kind of agree with Fluto. They are too easy to play against, both in terms of, you know, imposing your will against them but just from a physical point of view uh they're they're not going to intimidate anybody with their style of play no one in the nhl is afraid to play against the bruins either here in boston or on the road yeah and what's funny is i remember the bruins had that huge win over the capitals seven to three uh i think it was right before uh christmas and obviously they won the game it was an exciting game 
but there were a few injuries that happened. I mean, McAvoy got crushed. Uh, crew got crushed. No one really did anything about it. Uh, they were just kind of getting thrown around like it was nothing. I mean, Tom Wilson was taking liberties. Ovechkin was throwing Grizzlick around. And, it, you know, there's a huge debate among the Bruins community. And I think hockey in general, you know, it feels like you have to choose between toughness and skill. And I think sometimes, you know, you can reserve a spot in the lineup um, for someone who can bring that toughness. And I don't think it's a bad thing to say because, you know, they do need somebody like that. And you can't always rely on 42-year-old Zdeno Chara. As willing as he is to assume the, the mantle, uh, maybe too willing because there's a tendency, I think, on that team to look down the bench and say, well, he's got it. You know, I don't have to do it. Uh, like you said, when Tory Krug has to be the guy throwing fists with Patrick Hornquist, I'm not sure that's a good a good move on your team. Uh, all you have to do is look at, at the lack of response when Tuka Rask got, a, got punched in the side of the head uh, by Bemstrom. All you have to do is take a look at the at the obvious bullseye right in the middle of David Pasternak's sweater right now. Every team in the NHL has said he's the leading scorer in the league. He's not that big to begin with. Uh, we're going after him, and they're doing it. And sooner or later, it's going to take its toll. To his credit, he's been able to fight through it so far, been able to play despite it. But I'd be concerned if I were the Bruins about that. Yeah, and the other thing with David Postrock is a lot of times when he, I notice when he gets hit, or he's on the, you know, the end of a of a borderline, you know, legal illegal play, he always kind of takes a little while to get up, takes a little while to kind of regain his thing. Sometimes he kind of just like, you know, strolls over to the bench, and I think that, you know, the toughness on this team is something that should be questioned, and I, I don't think it's a bad thing, as, as you know, as you as you as you've said, to kind of question to sort of. Uh, you know, put under a microscope because, and and look, it's never going to be 2011. It's never going to be the 1970s. You know, it's just not the league right now. But to be able to stand up to, you know, the physicality of other teams, and granted, they don't have to face a ton of it with the Maple Leafs or really even the Lightning, but teams like the Capitals and even the Penguins are going to be physical. And, you know, you have to be ready to kind of, to, to, to face those things. And I think that's something that, you know, that they might look at at the deadline. But as you said, you know, a guy like Kevin Miller's coming back, you know, somewhat soon. Maybe it's him. Maybe he's the guy that, that they sort of need. Um, another thing I saw after the debacle that was Sunday, which started out so, so good for the Bruins and ended so poorly. Um, there were people, you know, over, when, whenever the Bruins struggle, there's one or two people who on Twitter are like, hey, Cassidy should lose his job. And it's always like, man, eh, whatever. That's but ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But there were more people than usual after Sunday's game saying maybe Cassidy's lost the room. And what I have to say to that is that's an overreaction. That's such an overreaction. He's been here th- well, that's three years. People, that's spoken by people who've never set foot in the room. Well, yes. that Yes. But to, you know, let's set the record straight here. (laughs) Bruce Cassidy took a team that was headed for no playoffs to the playoffs in 2017. 2018, he brings him to the second round. Last year, he brings him to game seven of the cup final. He is not going anywhere. Even though this year is crazy with coaches, uh, you know, trigger fingers are getting pulled everywhere, pulling coaches, you know, Gerard Gallant uh, right out of Vegas. Bruce Cassidy is not going anywhere as he, and he shouldn't. And, and the same can be said for Don Sweeney. People are saying, you know, maybe Don Sweeney should be gone. Why? 
Why? It's mid-January. The team's in first place by, you know, a considerable amount. There's no reason to. And these are the same people, especially with Sweeney, the same people that – and by the way, I'm not taking what these people are saying on Twitter, you know, with any high regard. It really isn't that big of a deal. But when you see a lot of people saying it, you sort of start to wonder, what are these people thinking? You know, all these people saying, you know, Don Sweeney's great with you know, re-signing his own guys. He's been solid with trades. Why the hell would you let go of Sweeney or Cassidy right now? What would even be the – there's no even rationale for that, Dale. Come on. Well, you wouldn't get rid of either guy. Uh, Don Sweeney's been nothing short of brilliant, in my opinion, in terms of the salary cap mess that he had to clean up after the departure of Peter Shirelli and the, and the mess that this team was in. He's done a great job with that. Uh, every time he signs one of his returning veterans to a new deal, Osternock or Brandon Carlo or Charlie McAvoy, I always come away saying, really? That's, you got him for that? Uh, so I, there are no, no issues for me in terms of the, the job that Sweeney's doing. Cassidy, I think, is one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. That's not to say that their roster doesn't need some work and not a major overhaul by any means. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, when, when Tukarask went down with the concussion, you picked the time of season when your backup goaltender was not at his best right now. And, Very true. you know, this has been a, a stretch of about 10 games, really going back to December 1st, where, you know, Yaroslav Halak has not been firing on all cylinders. So from a timing perspective, not Tukarask's fault, that, you know, he takes the punch to the head at a time when Yaro's not being at his best. They need to make a move or two. I think that, you know, they don't need a major overhaul. They need some size. They, they need a, a bit of toughness, and I'm not suggesting a fighter. You know, I love me some Sean Thornton, but those types of players probably don't have a, a place in the current NHL. Uh, and, you know, I find myself pining for an Adam McQuaid for crying out loud. Just that kind of guy who would see a guy get hit and say, no, no, this ain't happening here, and would wade right in. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the Kevin Miller type, you know, would jump right in and have no problem doing it. Uh, but I, again, I don't, you know, with Kevin Miller's injury history, I, I, I have real concerns about Miller's viability going forward. Yeah, and I, uh, and, and I, he's I do had too many setbacks, and I just don't want to put that kind of onus on poor Kevin Miller. He, I, I think, assuming he can come back and play, he's going to have, have a hard enough time just keeping his game afloat, let alone having to deal with that stuff. Yeah, and I also think I don't. I don't want to put the onus on Kevin Miller to be an everyday top six defenseman, even though we know he can be that, you know, with the injuries he's had and the, the, as you said, the amount of setbacks he's had, I don't want him uh, in there relied upon every single game because you just, I, I don't know if I can trust him for that, it, you know, it, it, with his injury history and stuff. And I don't think you want to throw that at him immediately, you know, kind of slowly get him back into things. Um, and, and I think that's legit. I think this team needs two things. You need a scoring second line right winger who might have some size. And if you want to add a defenseman for depth, go for it. I don't have any names off the top of my head, but go for it, you know, because you can always use defensive depth. You know, last year we saw when Grizzlick and, and, and Kevin Miller were out of the Stanley Cup final last year, they could have used uh, some, some, you know, maybe a more stable presence back there. Uh, and I don't think John Moore should be an everyday defenseman. I, I don't. So to stay on the topic of defense, um, one thing that's come to my attention uh, is, you know, there's been two th- two defensemen lately. Ironically, both enough from B, both from BU. 
who haven't been at the top of their game, in my opinion. I think Matt Grizzlick has had some t- some difficulties of late, especially in his own zone, uh, covering the net front, especially in the game on Sunday. He got healthy scratch last week for that. Um, and then Charlie McAvoy as well had some difficulties uh, in the game on Sunday. Is this kind of just young guys being young guys, or is there a bigger problem here? Well, McAvoy's the greater disappointment because he's got the greater ceiling. Yes. Uh, you know, more is expected of him. Uh, and, and I'm not even talking about the fact that he doesn't have a goal this year, as disappointing as that is. Uh, he has not been anywhere close to the top of his game at any point during this season. I've seen stretches when Matt Grizzlick at least has been. He's not one of them right now. There's no doubt about that. And he paid the price with a healthy scratch from Bruce Cassidy last week. I think part of the issue with Grizzly, and you go back to the whole size and and toughness thing, can you on a night in, night out basis, you know, continue to compete against, you know, big tough teams in the NHL when you've got two defensemen who are, you know, if they're lucky, stand at 5'9". And, you know, do you have room for both of them? at the same time, and I think that's a legitimate concern. Uh, McAvoy, I, I don't have the answer because I, I see the skill set. I know what I think he is. I think he is a, a, a future Norris Trophy candidate for crying out loud, but I have no evidence of that based on the way he's played this year. Uh, it's been almost kind of a lost season for him, and yet the talent is so great and the upside is so high that I'm not going to be surprised if it turns around at virtually any moment. And there are some nights where he is a dominant defensive and offensive presence. You know, he jumps up into the rush a lot. Um, you know, he's had some solid games against Ovechkin this year. You know, he's up against top pairings, but I just feel, you know, going into this, this, you know, when McAvoy was, uh, you know, getting his first deal, his first big deal, I remember thinking, you know, sign him to a, a lot, you know, a six or seven year deal, uh, that seems a little expensive now, but won't be expensive down the road. And now I look at it and what they signed him for, and I'm like, he's barely even played to being worth that, which is, you know, I'm a big McAvoy guy, but what he's done is what he's done. And he hasn't been as dominant as he has been. I think a guy like Brandon Carlo has been a lot better, at least for what we expected. I mean, Brandon Carlo's improved consistently throughout the year. And maybe that's because we expect less or because he's a defensive defenseman, but I, I just think Brandon Carlo has maybe been a little bit better this year than Charlie McAvoy has been. Brandon Carlo is your best defensive defenseman. Tory Krug is your best offensive defenseman. His offensive skill set is higher than anybody else on the blue line in that respect. But in terms of best defensive shutdown defenseman, it's Brandon Carlo and, and Zdeno Chara would be right behind him in my opinion. Unfortunately, that would not you know, Charlie McAvoy down to number three on that list. And that's certainly not what you were expecting from him, or at least not what I was expecting from him. No, and, and what's funny is the guy like Brandon Carlo, I think he's also been your most consistent defenseman uh, yep. in all phases. I mean, I'm I'm working on a piece right now. You listeners can look forward to it on CLNSmedia.com, a little feature piece on how Brandon Carlo's offensive game, um, though, you know, his stats aren't off the charts, his offensive game, when you watch the game and see how he plays and how he jumps into the rush, these are things he wasn't doing before, and now he is. And now, you know, now he's doing these things, and now he's, you know, not an integral part of the offense, but he's a good part of it. Every time he's not an offensive liability, and he's, you know, he's sliding down into the slot, little things like that. I'm not going to give it all away because I want the people to to read it when it comes out. Um, but I think that, you know, questioning Grizzly and McAvoy right now, 
uh, is something that, you know, we all kind of have to do because they haven't been so great. So um, speaking of not so great, uh, last week, David Backus uh, was placed on waivers uh, in, in, uh, in purpose of sending down to Providence. Um, I actually was coming out of the Bruins practice facility at that time. And I'm not just kissing your ass, Dale. I turned on your show and you guys were talking about it, which was very nice to hear a sports radio show talking about uh, Bruins news, especially this time of year. And um, I think it was Keith, or maybe it was you brought up a great point on how if Bacchus did go to Providence, here's a guy who could be a leader for these guys down in the AHL. And maybe if he's down to do that, that's the most value you could get out of his contract. Yeah, it's unfortunately not going to make up for the amount of money that he's due uh, for the rest of this year and next year. That's certainly not what you're paying, you know, a $6 million average annual value for. But I was the one who brought up the leadership. Listen, there is nobody in that Bruins room, not a single player, coach, trainer, management type who doesn't love David Backus. Uh, he is genuinely liked, respected. Uh, there's no phoniness about him. Uh, unfortunately, his game got derailed by some injury issues, and he really hasn't been able to, to come back from them. Not his fault, but that's just the fact of the matter. Uh, if you're going to have to pay him anyway, and assuming he's willing to accept you know, the, the demotion of Providence, and he's got about nine days to make that decision, and about $7 million why he'd say yes, um, you know, I think he would, he was, he is not a guy who would go down there and vote. You know, he wouldn't go down there and, you know, poison the minds of the young players in the organization. It would be just the opposite. He knows full well where he's at at this stage of his career and he would make the most of it. Uh, I, I don't know what his decision is going to be, but I know that if he did go down there, uh, the Bruins won't necessarily regret it except in terms of the money that, you know, he's costing them on their salary penalty. Yeah, it was it was a move that we all knew was going to have to come at some point. Uh, but it was still surprising to see it happen, to see a guy. I mean, people forget how good David Backus was, uh, you know, before he came to Boston. Um, you know, unfortunately, never really panned out here. You know, even in his first year, I think he had like 38 points in 70-something games. I mean, really just never lived up to it. And to see that low of a point total in his first year, it was like, oh, crap. This is not getting any better. Um, so, but a guy like Bacchus, again, you know, I was there the day that he got waived and everybody was saying how, you know, unfortunately he's part of the business, but, you know, he's such a great guy and we're, we're going to miss him a ton. Um, so lastly, I want to hit on this. I, this just came out today from The Athletic. Uh, they pulled 392 uh, NHL players. And there were a bunch of questions they asked him. Uh, for instance, who is the best player in the game? Connor McDavid had 63% of the vote. I don't think that surprises anybody. Uh, David Poshnok actually. Why does surprise me? It surpri- Why does it surprise you? Look at the percentage for Sidney Crosby. 15%. That's ridiculous. You think it's, you think it should be the other way or do you think Crosby should just be closer? A lot closer. Really? See, I think, oh, I, God, yes. I agree. I, I think, the top three are McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby, no doubt, in whatever order you want to put them in. But uh, I would, I would say McDavid and Crosby. You can, you can decide what order. McKinnon would be third on that list by far for me. See, I, I think McKinnon has a good case for second. I think McKinnon is a game changer, and I mean, he's you know kept Colorado afloat for a lot of this year. 
I, I, I agree with that, but I was surprised at how far out McDavid was. Also, because this is a Bruins podcast, we got to hit on this. David Poshnok gets one percent of the vote in fourth place. How about that? So surprised me. That did. I, I mean, that did. He, he is a great and gifted goal scorer, and has certainly improved his two hundred foot game dramatically since he came into the league. But the fourth best player in the NHL. I don't know if I believe that or not. Yeah, and I also don't think this is a beef I have with hockey in general. But I don't know if your best player in the league or one of the top can be a winger. I know Kucherov and Ovechkin and that, but I just think that centermen are just more important. They do more. They truly are all-around players. And I think that putting a winger up that high in a lot of cases really isn't the the best move um, when it comes to stuff like that. Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, Carey Price, 33% of the vote. He was number one. Ridiculous. I know, I didn't understand. I did not understand that. Flurry. Are get- the players in the National Hockey League watching the games they're playing in? No, I, I don't think so. I, Tuka Rask was fourth at seven percent. I'm uh, not suggesting Tuka Rask should be first either. But the fact, I mean, how about Mark Andre Flurry? Uh, I mean, how about? I mean, I'm not even going to give you Sergei Bobrovsky because I think he's having a real down year this year. But I could certainly come up with several goaltenders who I would way ahead of Carey Price. Well, the thing about Flurry is, you know, he had that game seven collapse last year. Granted, his team did, but he was the goalie against the Sharks. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe they're friends with these guys. I don't know. I mean, Price, Flurry, Vasilevsky, Rask, Bennington, which I get the Bennington one. That's recency. I understand why people would be inclined to say that. Uh, and then who's the most underrated player? Went Alexander Barkov, Jonathan Huberto, both from Florida. Both deserve more attention, but both also get it. Barkov's been labeled underrated now for years. So I mean, then you're not. So then, then you're, you're not underrated anymore. anymore. You're not yeah, underrated. You can't be anymore. You can't be underrated if you consist like Patrice Bergeron for so long. He's underrated. Now he's not. He's on a line called the perfection line. Uh, he also was one of the top people who received votes for that. Uh, but the one that, that stuck out to me, and if, if you've, if you've read this, correct? Oh yeah. I saw you read it. I bet there's one that stuck out to you just as much as it stuck out to me. Who the dirtiest player in the league is, Brad Marchand comes in at number one with 29%. Tom Wilson comes in right behind him at 24%. I was, I was surprised by this because, and maybe this is bias. I would put Wilson ahead of Marchand and I don't, Marchand hasn't done anything dirty in a while. I think uh, I've often said about sports talk radio callers, it sometimes takes them a while to catch up to reality. It's fairly obvious to me that it takes NHL players a little while to catch up to reality as well. Uh, Brad Marchand, if you're talking about a Lifetime Achievement Award, I'd give you that one. Uh, but if you're talking about the Brad Marchand I've been watching play for the last couple of years, then again, I question how much NHL hockey these players are watching. Uh, Tom Wilson's one of the dirtiest players in the league, period. Uh, you know, he puts guys out. And, and, you know, Brad Marchand, for all the crap that he's done in the past, he's not that guy anymore. And unfortunately, his past reputation is probably overshadowing the reality of who he is right now. That's very true. And I also think, you know, even when he was licking guys, which was stupid, that wasn't taking a guy out of a game. That was just being a dick. I mean, there was no real, like, you know, I'm not defending it, but... The things Wilson does are way worse. Uh, one Pacific Division player says, I was thinking Tom Wilson. He does some stupid shit, 
but he can play the game at least. He walks the edge and is very effective to can his play team. the game at least. I know. So that's my point. Marshawn is one of the top point getters in the National Hockey League. Tom Wilson benefits from being with Alex Ovechkin. I mean, <laughs> what? That that made no sense. And maybe he wasn't referring to Marshawn. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he's just talking about Wilson in general. But in the context of where they put it in the article, it would make you think that they were saying it in the context of Marshawn. So I just did not get that. I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I think you hit on it. They just, players take a while to catch up to reality. And, and I, I, I quite honestly question how much care and dedication they put into the survey to begin with. When you see that Carey Price is run away, the top goaltender, well, then they're not even trying. They're just saying, oh, yeah, Carey Price is always going to Let's check you. I mean, I hate to say it. It's almost like Patrice Bergeron will be a Selkie award finalist every year of his career now. Because he is. Because that's who he is, and that's what, what we think of him. And, and I'm not even saying he doesn't deserve to be, but I don't think we put any thought into it anymore. No, I don't. I think they get very complacent with who they put in, and, and that's sort of it. Um, Dale, thank you so much for joining. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug uh, before yeah, I let you I go? Nothing. No, I'm good. I, I will tell you this, uh, and I haven't told anybody this yet. Uh, there is a second book that uh, has begun the pipeline. It's going to take me a little while to get this thing done, but I think uh, – I think Bruins fans will like it when we get there. Ooh, I like it. Is there any co-authors? Nope. Wow. All right. I'm excited for this. I, I, All right. You always come out with a good book, Dale, and we can always rely I'm, on you for I'm that. I'm working on it. But do, any idea when it's probably going to release? Or... Yeah, it will not be. It's probably not going to be until a year from next November. So I, yeah, wow. That's a while away, but it's going to be coming quick. Takes well, me that long to write. Yeah, well, that I that's the thing. I, I'll write like a three thousand or four thousand word feature piece, and I and I'll be like, I don't know how people write books, but that's something I'll probably end up doing later on in my career. Uh, but I, I I always have full respect for people who who are authors and write books, especially like you, because it just must take forever and the and the work that goes into it and the interviews. I mean, you were I remember you saying for your last book, uh, you know, talking to I think it was Bergeron. You said. You know, you said to him, hey, when works? And he said, right now. I mean, imagine if you didn't have the questions ready and you were just like, oh, all right. Well, I guess we'll do it right now. Just got to be ready. That's all. There it is. And this one, there won't be quite as many interviews involved, quite as many. But it'll be pretty in-depth. I think people will like it. Awesome. Well, that's what we want. Uh, and again, Dale, thank you so much for joining. And you guys can look forward to that in a, a year from this November. So that will, that'll be November of 2021, right? Yep. That's the, that's wow. the idea. The start of the 2021 season. That feels like it's forever from now. But as I said, it's going to be coming quick. Uh, but thank you so much for that. And for CLS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You, Bruins Beat listeners, have a great rest of your week. Yeah.